0: everyone, I'm Jennifer Duck, and today we're getting grounded on purpose. This is certainly my most public timeout, and I'm not taking it lightly. My intention is to create a space where we can learn, reconnect, and grow together with some of the most inspiring thought leaders, colleagues, and friends who can help each one of us find our purpose. So take a timeout with me, and let's dig in. Today, I'm so honored to have Professor Amy Hodges Hamilton join me. Amy's a professor of English at Belmont University here in Nashville. Amy's research and teaching interests center on personal writing, feminist theory, and healing in the arts. She also served as the founding director of Vanderbilt University's writing studio, which she still supports today. Amy's work has shattered many glass ceilings and has helped break stigmas about our mental health, specifically on the issues of loss and trauma. Amy is not only a renowned professor, but she is also the mother of three girls, seven-year-old twins, and a 12-year-old aptly named Grace. When Grace was just two and a half years old, she battled high-risk, pre-B acute lymphoblastic leukemia, a diagnosis that no toddler could say out loud, let alone understand. One person who inspired Amy throughout this incredibly hard time was Dr. Maya Angelo, who Amy met and worked with until Dr. Angelo's death in 2014. Even after her death, Amy still keeps up with Dr. Angelo's wonderful team. Amy, welcome to Grounded on Purpose.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So we share a mutual love for Dr. Maya Angelo, and I was so inspired by her work and wisdom that I actually named my daughter Maya. You knew her very well, and you're still close with her team, as I said, I want to talk about her in just a minute, but first, it's been about 10 years since your daughter, Grace, was diagnosed with cancer when she was just two and a half years old. How is Grace
1: doing? Grace is in full remission. She's doing beautifully, and she is actually away at cheer camp for middle school. So she has been able to overcome a lot of the challenges that really we were prepared to face in terms of physical and um emotional, social setbacks based on the high-risk treatment that she received. Mm -hmm. She's done incredibly, incredibly well. I love that. It's so great to hear that. And when
0: when Grace was diagnosed with cancer, Dr. Angelo told you something that you said you will never forget. She said, all you need to pray, Amy, is God, give me grace. And it must have been so powerful to hear that from her. For those who don't know Maya Angelo or her work, Tell us about her and why these words meant so much to you.
1: I was always a huge fan of Maya Angelou. She was my favorite author as an undergraduate English major. And then again, through my master's and my PhD program, I just always felt called to her work and her words and her honesty. uh, And particularly, and I know why the caged bird sings. And the thing I love so much about her work is the way that she was able to merge both trauma and hope and joy uh, in the midst of sorrow and so I always was finding a way to include Maya Angelou in my work or in my classes Um, she was always my go-to author um, because I think she has so much to share and I also really liked that she was the people's poet, and in academia she was not always uh, revered in the same way. But that made me almost feel more called to her work because I thought that the fact that she was the first African American streetcar conductor in San Francisco—you know—that she was a poet that was able to reach the masses, uh, but also you know recite and and write a poem for. Uh, a presidential inauguration. She was the only the second poet to ever speak at a presidential inauguration, the first being Robert Frost, uh, and then Maya Angelou. So I, I just love that she was sort of an underdog. Um, and obviously not always an underdog, but, you know, maybe perhaps started as one and uh, particularly in higher education. But to me, she was one of the greatest voices we will have ever known uh, and as both a poet and um, a memoirist. So I, I loved her work. I love the line, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. So in 2011, it was the 10th annual Humanities Symposium here at Belmont, and the focus was liberating voices. And so I said, well, we should try to get Maya Angelou. And Everybody was like, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, but why not? Like, she lost her voice for seven years and then became one of the greatest voices of our time. And we're talking about liberating voices. Like, her voice was actually liberated, and now she's changing the world. So I had to go all the way up the chain um, and beg, basically. But we were able to secure her visit to Belmont, and it was, I think, it will remain one of the greatest moments of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's incredible that she came here and and spoke and I know that's a
0: touching time and I want to come back to that. You touched on something though that I find fascinating about her life. Um, She lost her voice, like you said, and she was around eight years old when this happened, Mm -hmm. I believe. Um, Can you explain that time in her life and
1: how those years, those five years of not speaking shaped her? Yes, so she was um, sexually assaulted by her mom's boyfriend and she was so confused she didn't understand what was happening to her. And the thing that just always haunts me is when she she writes about, and I know why the cage bird sings, the moment on the witness stand when she they asked her if it had happened more than once, and she said she lied because she didn't she felt guilt and shame about um the abuse that was happening and and so he the uh rapist gets put in jail for one day and then released and and then the um police come to her grandmother's house and say that they've found him and he's been kicked to death and she thinks her voice has killed him because she you know spoke and told Bailey that he had raped her and so she thought because her voice could kill people she had to stop speaking. Mm-hmm. And so she said she just became leech-like to sound and would listen to everything around her and she just took in all of this information and everything around her but she would not speak. She says that she did speak to her brother Bailey because he knew that um you know she she was uh unable to speak to anyone else but that that he wouldn't die she she believed that he was her she would call kingdom come so he was the only person she would speak to otherwise she wrote down things and i think that her family in st louis didn't quite know what to do with her silence and so they sent her back to mama and stamps and then i think mama knew uh that Maya loved to read. And so she introduced her to um, a socialite named Mrs. Flowers. And Mrs. Flowers started introducing her to books. And she said she would just read everything and just soak in all of this um, everything from Shakespeare to uh, she loved, really, she loved everything she said that she read. Um, But I think that those years of silence allowed her to listen in a way that that really you know makes a difference in terms of how she wrote and how she interacted with the world because I think often we're just we're not really listening we're just waiting for the next time we can interject and tell our story or our truth or, you know, we're not actually listening to one another. And I think maybe that's what I love so much about Maya Angelou's work is that I think that she has listened so intently that what she's sharing matters. Uh, You know, the words that she chooses matter. And that's something that I try to then move into my writing classroom and into my literature classrooms is this idea of really listening and of being intent. Um, intentional in what we say and and how we say it because I think particularly with social media and all of the ways that people just say whatever it is that they're thinking without listening um, and without really imagining what what are these words going to do to this person and and she she really taught me uh, the importance of words and how words matter yeah Words
0: do matter. Um, (laughs) The previous podcast I would would guest host on um, the title is "Words Matter," and it just always stuck with me uh, how much they do matter. And I think that's also why Maya Angelou just spoke to me so much. Um, You talked a little bit about Miss Flowers, who was one of the teachers who who told her that she needed to speak. Um, And Maya Angelou said that Miss Flowers also was that rainbow in her famous quote. You know, find the rainbow in someone else's, be the rainbow in someone else's cloud. Um, She was one of the many rainbows, you know, and I I think that sticks with me too. Every time I see a rainbow, I think of Maya Angelou, I think of her stories and how we can overcome. Uh, But a big part of this is living through your trauma. Everyone, no one's perfect, everyone has something. And this is something that you really specialize in. And I know the students that you have, um value this so much that they can tell their stories. Why is it important for us to to find this truth and to really um pause and reflect and and live through that versus, you know, having these filters like you said on social media and other places where maybe we're not being our true
1: selves. That's a great question. You know, I think I think transparency and honesty is so important, uh, and vulnerability, but it's not something that we're comfortable with, uh, particularly with this sort of veiled perfection uh that we all put forth on social media and really in, in life. And I think that Dr. Angelo's early childhood trauma and then, you know, what I went through with, with Grace's early childhood trauma, you 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 can't leave those um masks on anymore. Uh, you know, they're they're taken off for you. And so I think in order to be intentional and in order to be vulnerable, I think we do just need to do more of what Dr. Angelo called us to do and to listen. Uh, because like she says in the prologue of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And I think that she lived that for seven years. And I lived that for two and a half years with Grace. And, you know, again, thinking about the fact that Maya Angelo took an interest in Grace. You know, who is Grace to Maya Angelo? She's a two and a half-year-old toddler in Nashville. You know, Dr. Angelo lived in North Carolina. Like, she didn't have to take that special interest in Grace. She could have asked me how Grace was that one time, and I would have still Taught her work, I would have still thought she was the greatest writer of my time. Like I, it, it really strikes me, and it still continues to strike me that she took an interest in many, many people that never those stories have never been told. Um, I was able, I was honored enough. We were honored enough to be at her memorial service and. Grace was five rows back, uh, you know, VIP. And um, there was the the president of Wake Forest was sitting beside us. And he said that Dr. Angelo took a special interest in his daughter mm-hmm. uh, who was struggling. And Dr. Angelo would go get her one day a week from school and they would go do something together. And nobody knows that story. Um, you know, so again, like it doesn't matter who you are. You can listen And learn from others and and reach out a hand and pay attention to those around us you know I think that's one thing that I learned from her is she she told me she said please come visit me please bring grace and I thought oh I don't want to bother her she's you know my Angelo and I'm just a nobody and I missed that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never went. And you know, now that I, yes, like you said, I am still close with her team, and they said she absolutely meant it. Um, you know, you should have come. And so that's what I tell my students now: is don't miss an opportunity because you don't think you're worthy, or you're not there yet, or you're not. And to be that opportunity for someone else, you know, that we have this chance to, like you said, be a rainbow in the clouds every single day. And, you know, it didn't matter that to Maya Angelou that she was, you know, the this amazing poet and um, national figure. She cared about Grace um, and she sent her every book she'd ever written signed. Um, and, you know, again, Grace was on the the list for her memorial uh, when we went to there was a process to get the tickets to get into the memorial. And Grace was the only one on the list, and I was like, "Well, she's five and a half, so I don't think she can really go by herself." Um, so we we were able to go as well, but it was funny. I was like, "I love that she was just like Grace. Yeah, Grace, we need Grace.
0: Go so. fi- go figure it out. Five five year old, mm-hmm. go find your way here." Um, well, that's I mean, it's beautiful, and and I think she really truly is like having worked on projects about my Angelo with Oprah, um, and then I talked to her, and I have a very funny story about the phone conversation I had with her, which we'll say for a later time. But I I think she just truly is that genuine. That's what you're drawn to. And a lot of people, you know, I was doing the research on her again and kind of revisiting her story. But she's so truly legendary. I mean, she's the author of more than 30 best best-selling titles, Pulitzer Prize nominee. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Arts and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Three Grammy Awards. I had no idea about that in addition to the 30 honorary degrees, of course, she was the civil rights activist, playwright, actress, director, composer, singer, and dancer. You talked about um, her dream at one time was to be the streetcar director, you know, in San Francisco when she was a teenager and she did that. But she just lived this remarkable life. But I think a lot of that did come from that five years of listening, of of taking everything in. Um, And that's something that, It's hard to teach, you know, I teach media. So of course I'm teaching them how to be online. But a lot of what I teach is actually unplugging and listening and and doing the storytelling that way. How important is that to remember as we're, you know, we can be, we can learn everything from Google, right? We can learn so much from being online, but how important is it for us to connect deeply with each other, um, especially post-pandemic when we can do it? You know, we've had this taken away from us the past year. How
1: important is that? Oh, I think it's absolutely key. And and I think it's about relationships uh, and really taking the time and effort to dig in and get to know one another. And like I said, to listen. You know, I think one thing that I've noticed throughout all of Angelo's work is her ability to choose grace in the midst of trauma. And, um, you know, so I think, anticipating what we might learn from others rather than feeling like we have all the answers, because like you said, you could Google and find an answer, but do you know the story? Do you know who's been impacted and how those, you know, people got to this place Uh, because everyone has a story and there are reasons that things happen the way that they do. And so I think again, Thinking about how we can always be learners and always be finding um, a way to grow and develop. And that we, you know, I say the minute I think I know it all, I need to retire. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always wanting to learn from my students and with my students. And that's one thing that I think she taught me again is that she was so willing to sit and talk to Grace and and to me and and again that that feeling that when we haven't arrived, we're all just on this journey together. And I love um, her collection of essays. Wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. And I I think you know maybe in the midst of Grace's cancer treatment when there were really hard days I'm I may not have agreed with that statement but I do agree now I wouldn't take nothing for my journey and I think that that's one thing that her collective work. Really shows us is that, you know, you can choose resilience, or you can choose to be defeated. And she chose resilience. Um, you know, she talks about how Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed on her 40th birthday, and she was about to go back out with him um, on the civil rights trail, and that she didn't celebrate her birthday for years in, in honor of her friend. And uh, she actually believed that words mattered so much that she called President Obama after the statue went up uh, for Dr. King in the, on the National uh, mon- Memorial and said, that's not what he said. I actually have his notes right here in my house. And he actually said it this way. And you, you need to change that wording. And they did it. Wow! Um, and so, you know, again, she just was such a believer in the power of words and and that they were things that they get into the wallpaper and into your you know clothes like she would say and I think it's true I I try to take such care uh, more care maybe than I ever did before uh, with words now yeah I love that quote too Um, just the way she puts that
0: it sticks to you remember your words matter remember they have that staying power um, and uh, the other quote I love of hers: People will forget what you do, mm-hmm. but they'll remember how you made them feel. And I've had to use that recently, <laughs> just to remind, you know, remind, uh, because it's um, it, it's so true. You know, it's it's how we're making people feel. And I think again, sometimes we lose sight of that because we're constantly connected, or we're maybe not connecting face to face as much. So that's it's so important. Um, she also is just she's so honest. Sometimes like brutally honest, right? And I loved, there was an interview she gave with Context Magazine, and it was around the time she released Gather Together in My Name. Mm -hmm. And in that interview, she said, and I'm going to quote her here, I wrote about my experiences because I thought too many people were telling young folks, I never did anything wrong. Who? Moi? Never I. I have no skeletons in my closet. In fact, I have no closet. They lie like that, and then young people find themselves in situations, and they think, damn. I must be a pretty bad guy. You know, my mom or dad never did anything wrong, so I'm pretty bad. And they can't forgive themselves and go on with their lives. Um, so she wrote this book, she says, you know, to tell all the children that all these grown people have have made mistakes and that she will tell them the truth. Uh, and I think that just really speaks to her truth and sums up kind of the renegade woman she was, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. She was not afraid To tell the truth, Uh, in fact, she insisted on it, and yeah, I absolutely loved that about her. And I think again, there's another lesson that we can learn from the way that she wrote and lived: is that we aren't perfect. None of us are perfect, Uh, and and but she was she was pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) I'll agree with you there, definitely.
0: Um, And she, you know, and I think it took, gosh, I mean, and and I think of her again, back to those years of silence and just thinking about people and how she wanted to be. Um, you know not many of us get that chance maybe Buddhist monks and and others have that chance to be in that silence but um, and, and not that she arrived at that silence at all in a way any of us would want to. but I think that really again kind of shaped her uh, and it, it continued in in her life. So another thing that I found interesting as I was doing all this research um, was her writing ritual. And how she? Go I, I've to been a hotel. Yes, I've been so obsessed with this. I kind of want to go to a hotel. Tell us about that. I want to go to a hotel with some some sherry though, maybe. And, right. and get my writing on. But tell us what she did in her writing ritual and and how she
1: worked uh, in really thinking through all of her work. Yeah, she would just go uh, to a local hotel with legal pads and just you know hole up in the room and write for days. Yes, and I think uh, one thing she wanted when she, or need you know asked for when she came was were, were a certain type of flower, but also Johnny Walker Blue, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Belmont is a dry campus. So, I think she might have brought her own Johnny Walker Blue label, but um, <laughs> but yes, I think you know she was so much fun, but she also knew and it was time to work, and uh, I think. You know, she would really dedicate that time to get off on her own by herself and to really think and write. And, of course, she came up with some of the most beautiful writing. Um, One of the stories that sticks with me in terms of what she was asked to write was she she explained that when she was a teenager in San Francisco, she would stand outside um, the United Nations and watch people go in and think, like, if I wasn't 16 years old and black— Uh, maybe I could, you know, maybe I could work for the United Nations or, you know, she had a really strong um, penchant for languages. Uh, She ended up speaking like six different languages and being a translator in uh, um, many different countries. I mean, she was just amazing. But she was asked um, for the 50th anniversary of the United Nations to write a poem. And she wrote a poem called A Brave and Startling Truth. And she said that that was one of the greatest honors of her lifetime because she remembered back to this moment when she was 16 years old, standing outside and watching and imagining what life might be like if she were different. And that, again, goes back to my favorite uh, part of her whole story is the prologue to I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings because she, she writes about that moment of waking up from her ugly black dream, she says, and mm-hmm. and maybe being a blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl, uh, and then uh, goes into the rust on the razor that threatens the throat, and we all have rust on the razor, or we all have a story inside of us that needs to be told, and so that's why I think her writing is so incredibly powerful, is because really there is a need to listen and to 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 invite others. To write through their trauma, um, or to speak through it, or ho- however they can find um, their truth and their story, I think is so so important.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And back when you first started teaching, I was you know reading
0: a, an article you wrote, and it just really touched me. My Angelo is a working mom; um, we're both working working moms as well. Um, but it's this this work life balance, mm. and you wrote about blurring the lines between mothering and teaching. Um, but you had a moment, and uh, I think we, we all struggle with this, men too. I mean, we all as humans struggle with how do we balance all these things on our plate. Um, but I think especially as as women, we, we are still, especially in academia, trying to prove ourselves, which we've talked about, and in other professions, for sure, media I could speak to. Um, and we try to separate. And that's part of this living your story um that was it it came to you in a different moment tell us about that moment where you decided to turn your phone off you were just going to be a teacher
1: that day um what happened so that is that was definitely a turning point uh in my teaching and mothering uh life but i i do think we as women have to separate out those two things uh in order to to be seen as, you know, professional, academic. And so I was just always very careful to separate out those, you know, my personal and my professional life. And so I always silenced my phone before I started teaching and I didn't think much of it. I had to run up and meet with somebody about, um, I don't even remember now, of course, what the meeting was about, some sort of committee I was on. And then when I started toward the car, I looked down and saw that I'd missed several calls from Grace's preschool. And they left a voicemail that said, we need you to come get grace. She's crying. And this is the first time she's cried since she got here nine months ago. And she's just not herself. And um, so that was five days before we found out that she had cancer. And so when I had to go back to the classroom after spring break, I decided to be completely transparent with my students and tell them you know, I'm not going to be here the rest of the semester because my daughter is in the hospital and, you know, it is is deathly ill. And it really changed everything uh, because I it, it was necessary to do so. You know, I said, I'll try to respond to your writing when Grace is having good days. But, you know, here are the people that are going to take over. And, you know, as I started back into the classroom full time, I just decided that I had to be completely honest with my students. Um, And I think Dr. Angelo would have, would have encouraged me to do that much sooner. Um, But again, women are 30% less likely to receive tenure and promotion than their male colleagues. So it's still a thing, you know, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to succeed and I wanted Grace to know that she could succeed. And so, um, I I think my classroom opened up uh, in really powerful ways, the ways that students decided to write uh, their stories, the ways in which they engaged with the material, because they knew that I was invested and that I was making a choice to be there. Um, and again, I think if the more honest we are, the more honest those around us are going to be. And so it really impacted my pedagogy in a powerful and, um, I think positive way. Uh, but again, it, it took, you know, I had been teaching for 10 years at that point. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, you have to say everything about your life the first day you walk into your job or to your classroom or to your relationship. But I do think the more open we can be, the more open our, relationships will be our lives, our, you know, um, opportunities. You know, I think, again, that transparency has allowed me to publish and teach and write in a way that um, I think is more true to who I am. And I think that's what I learned from my Angelo is she was always true to who she was. Yeah. And the reviews are in. So I was I was reading about you.
0: I stumbled upon some comments from the uh, some of your students, <laughs> and they are uh, very true to you being transparent. They uh, love that. I think the more human we are, the better. I mean, we're all human. We all put our pants on one leg at a time, right? We all have empathy and can find our common ground and Hopefully. understand each other. Hopefully, right? We're trying. <laughs> we're getting through this time. Uh, but some of the reviews, I just have to read these because I, I was getting a kick out of them and just... Adoring you. And I know we just met, but one said, if I had to choose anyone to be my second mother, I would pick her. (laughs) That's you. (laughs) Dr. H.H. is adorable, stylish, and uber smart. We can speak to that. I could see you here today. She's an expert on writing to heal, the focus of her first year writing course. She's one of the kindest, least judgmental professors I've ever had, and she's hilarious to boot. (laughs) And this is my personal favorite. This was written in all caps, just so you understand. I feel like I should shout it because it's it's all caps here. Dr. H.H. is an angel among men. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she is the best professor I have ever had and one of the best people I have ever met. She pushes you to be the best writer, learner, teacher you can be and never, ever judges you for anything. She wants every student to succeed and discover themselves throughout the semester. I want her to be my fairy godmother. <laughs> take her so as doesn't take your class um so i mean i think right there the bringing in the personal is everything being your true authentic self having intention everything you spoke of today is truly that's it i mean
1: again the reviews speak for themselves right? wow that was incredibly incredibly kind i um <laughs> Whew, I don't know where you got those, but i <laughs> I think when I was awarded the presidential award a few years ago here, i I just said like I it is such an honor to me to be a teacher. and I mean, that's why I left Vanderbilt because I was doing administration and I was good at it. I was, I mean, it was, you know, I was able to do it, but it didn't feed my soul. And when I walk into a classroom, I feel like I'm home. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's another piece of advice is like, to do what you love, uh, you know, and to find that place where you feel connected and a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, you know, I'm working with women coming out of addiction right now to help them tell their stories, and it's so powerful to see the early childhood trauma and the ways in which those stories have shaped the decisions that they've made, and and how maybe telling their story and gaining control over it. Can help shape the next chapter mm-hmm. in a in a different a different way uh, that allows them to to take control. It was so beautiful,
0: um, and we certainly appreciate all you do. Um, you're just amazing. And again, I've heard about you uh, throughout the few years I've been at Belmont, and everyone's like, you have to meet. Dr. H. H. I'm like okay, okay. I know I need to meet you. So I met you the other day, like at the send off for our president, yeah, the Belmont University president was leaving, and you were there, and you were of course giving this beautiful speech. And I had seen your commencement speech about Maya Angelou, um, my first year I was here. Um, So of course I was like, I'm going to bring her in and meet her by doing a podcast (laughs) because that's really normal. That's that's natural, right? Um, But no, thank you. I mean, it's it's such a pleasure, and I think your wisdom and insight, and especially just on, on you know, motherhood and and empowerment, and um, you know, realizing we all have our stories, we all have our traumas, we've all been through the mud and back, right? Um, and that's how we grow, and that's how we learn. And
1: uh, knowing that your teaching is your purpose too. Yes, um, that's a big. Knowing one for me. what your purpose is. Yeah. yeah, I'll know. I mean, Dr. Angelo, she um, when I went on to the bus for the first time, she said, "Go ahead, find your perch," and I was like, "How beautiful is that?" Uh, What a wonderful way to ask somebody to sit down. So I found a (laughs) perch. And then, like you said, she stopped me in the middle of me trying to explain my teaching and mothering and personal life. And she reached out her hands and grabbed mine and said, all you have to pray every day is this. God, give me grace. Mm. And that he has. And I think, you know, we all can go forth and grace to change the world. I love that. Oh, I just want to pause there because it's so beautiful.
0: Um, pause before we do the speed round so okay I, I warned you about the speed round it's time for the speed round <laughs> Uh-oh. in our final few minutes of the show um, I'm going to just have you say in a few words And I know this is hard because my background has a little English too and I, I like to be wordy I don't know if you've noticed but uh, in just a few words in the final two minutes tell me what does the word grounded mean to you Purposeful. What's keeping you grounded right now? Relationships. How do you funnel through or block out the noise, whether that's an email or a phone notification or that voice of doubt inside your head?
1: I think intentionality, you know, really diving into whatever it is that you're doing and trying to focus rather than letting the phone Derail you, or the email, or you know, to sort of f- focus in on on the task at hand, knowing that that email is going to wait. If you had
0: to sum up your purpose in five words or less, what would you say? I think to
1: be the change that I hope to see in the world. I love that.
0: What's feeding your purpose
1: right now in terms of books, podcasts, songs, documentaries, movies? I think my work with healing housing and and those stories of women on the margins and how really we just have to stop and look around and listen because there are so many powerful stories and so many people who are surviving and thriving. Um, But in terms of the book, I would say I'm reading Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey's book on what happened to you and that, that shift in the way we think about instead of why are you doing that what happened to you? I think that's such a powerful shift. And then the research on ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and how early childhood experiences really shape our physiology and the way that we uh, live and, and act in the world.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to check those out. I've been following, I've not read the book, but I have been following Oprah's posts on social media, and they are just powerful. She forgot to ask me to be part of the book. <laughs> Me too. Where was our invite? I don't know. Um, No, she's, yeah, she's obviously, I think she's just amazing. Um, Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking time away from your busy schedule to join us. This was just a beautiful interview that I will never forget and beautiful moment in the start of, I hope, a very long friendship that we can have.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Grounded on Purpose is produced by myself and Jess Alexi. Music by Jess Alexi and Mike Lexi.